This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, Tony. Something's what? happened. Something has happened since we were last uh, together. Can nothing you... at all. Nothing at all. Well, let me play this clip because I think this, this kind of speaks for what I think we're going for. Uh, and you can do so as soon as possible. Ten states, as I said, on Friday uh, started their early for voting the, the day that we lost but, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But to be clear, you're not taking any arrows out of your quiver. You're not ruling anything out. Good morning. Sunday morning. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, we have a responsibility. We take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. So I think that was Nancy Pelosi yesterday on uh, Good Morning with uh, George Snuffleupagus. Uh, right. Actually, I, I like that technique, and I, I've, I've watched the video, which is even better. Yes. She's in her uh, rictus. I'm, as again, Dennis Miller's classic line about Nancy Pelosi looks like she's perpetually watching the docking of the Hindenburg. But yes. I, I love the fact that so she gets a question, by the way, from a guy who is her on her team. Yep, very much so. Feeding her, her softballs. She has no idea what to say. Good morning. Sunday morning. What? <laughs> it's amazing. Um, just amazing. Can you imagine if someone, if someone had gone on there, uh, a Republican senator, Mitch McConnell, oh, right? No, uh, now, Mr. No. McConnell, are you prepared to stymie the will of the people <laughs> and hold the Senate hostage? Good morning. Maybe like, I am. Maybe. Like, what are you doing? Are you are you losing your mind? Yes. That that's Nancy Pelosi. That's what we do. So here's what I R.I.P. or R.B.G. Okay. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, if you haven't been paying attention, she passed away on Friday. Probably not a huge surprise. Uh I don't know that we knew specifically she was well, extra ill. Actual condition was. No, and I don't think anybody outside of her personal group probably did but it, i think we we joked about it previously to this but she was w- relatively old and in poor health so it's not a total shock that this happened so if we go back to 2016 and merrick garland sitting there by the phone waiting for the call so skipper puts him in says i'm nominating you and mitch mcconnell does not does not bring him up to a vote and i i want to be very clear on the 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 constitutionality of this whole process. The president nominates, which he did with Merrick Garland, Obama did with Merrick Garland. The Senate advises and consents. I would contend that Mitch McConnell is the speaker or the leader of the, the Senate, um, basically said, uh, I've advised and I do not consent. End of story. That, that's how it works. He kind of backed himself in the corner when he, at that point saying this is nine months out from an election, let the people decide. No, but wait, but wait, he didn't back himself into a corner because what is the key, what is the key distinction between what was going on then with Merrick Garland and what is going on now in terms of the structure of the co-equal branches? Are we talking about the filibuster and the um, supermajority needed and Harry Reid took that away? 
to me, because again, there's all of this, and, and you were correct to point out the only thing that matters constitutionally is Donald Trump nominates the Senate advice and consent and confirms the end. In fact, I'm pretty sure if you scour Article 2, you're not going to find anything in there that talks about, and you must hold a deliberative hearing. Nope. There's nothing about that. Advice, nope. consent. Yep. The Senate gets to decide one way or another, up or down, and so there's no constitutional issue. But the more important thing, when you were talking about what McConnell was saying about, you know, it's nine months out from the election, let's, let's contrast. Sure. That was Barack Obama's end of his second term. Mm -hmm. So a true lame duck, meaning Correct. no possible chance of being reelected. His agenda, to the extent it existed, has been fully implemented over a period of eight years. He was done. And the party that controlled the Senate was not his party. Correct. So we had a president leaving office. And the Senate, which decides who's going to be seated in different camps, and McConnell's argument is in that scenario, when your time has run its course and there is no agreement between the executive and the legislative body that's going to decide, we're going to wait. The difference now is, number one, you can say that Trump's a lame duck, but he's potentially going to serve four more years. But far more importantly, the voters decided in 2016 and then 2018 who the president was and who's going to control the senate and so sorry democrats elections have consequences as one great <laughs> constitutional scholar once reminded us and the only election that matters right now the two are what happened in 2016 and what happened in 2018 it doesn't matter whether she passed two years ago or three days ago or 10 days from now. That's just the way the chips fell. And right now, the party that controls the two relevant branches of government to make this decision and constitutionally replace her happened to be the evil orange man party. So sad for the Democrats, but that's just the way things go. So I, I agree with everything you're saying. I don't think it matters that Obama was in his last year of his lame duck presidency i to me that's irrelevant uh because i i think the senate has the right to advise and consent and you're right it was the opposite party therefore they had no obligation now the question becomes how far out would it have been to say you know if it happened uh a year into his second term obama's second term is that the time when you hold it or do you just say, give me somebody else? I don't I don't like Merrick Garland, give me somebody else, and then we'll talk about a vote. Well, but that's the point, is that in my view, and by the way, this would be my view if the roles were completely reversed. Yeah. If we right now had a Hillary Clinton presidency with a Democrat-controlled Senate, I might not like it, and I would Correct. dread the choice, Correct. but the reality is they have the whip hand. This is the way politics works. Yeah. So. I, from day one after 2018 election, where Republicans expanded their slim majority, it's now 53 to 47 in the Senate. I think it went in at 52, right? Um, from that day forward until we have a new president, that vacancy gets to be filled by the party in power. 
Yep. That's all there is to it. This is a clinical use of political power as our government was set up. There's no constitutional crisis. There's there's no there's no this is a terrible abuse. Uh-uh. This is the way it works. And of course, we know full well that if the tables were turned right now, we would already have Alyssa Milano seated <laughs> on the Supreme Court, whoever they wanted, whatever the farthest left person they could find. And you know what? I might I might say this is a terrible selection of a jurist, but I, w- I can't complain about the process because yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, I, 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 agree. I completely agree with you. And I... <sighs> I, I wish Mitch hadn't said it's nine months out, let somebody else let the election happen. I wish those words had not come out because it makes it less defensible, although I agree with you, it doesn't matter. You, you, you're in charge, you get to set the rules. If somebody else is in charge, they get to set the rules, and that's, that's how it works. So if you don't but like remember, it, too bad. But remember, though, again, the nine months out context was you're replacing a stalwart, quote-unquote, conservative member of the court. Yeah. And you do not, you have two different parties controlling the relevant branches. Mm-hmm. That's what his comment meant, which is there's a tug of war there. We are simply not going to allow you, as the president, over the objections of the Senate to make this decision on your way out the door. And ultimately, they don't have to. They no. don't have to allow him to no. do that. And they didn't. They didn't. So, a lot of talk. <laughs> Chuck Schumer basically said, we're going to riot. We're going to do everything we can to disrupt this. Uh, Miss Pelosi, uh, not in that clip, but we played, but basically threatened impeachment to disrupt the Senate. Impeachment. <laughs> we're going to articles of impeachment to disrupt the approval of a new justice. Right. I'm like, we'll, we'll, we'll think of something. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Well, so let's talk with Nancy Pelosi first. Does she is she that brain dead to think that you can come up with an impeachment argument? I mean, you're, you run the house, so you can put up anything you want, but you can come up with an impeachment argument because you don't want them to seat a justice. What really, you, Chad? It's not brain dead. Oh. It's they have no scruples and no principles whatsoever. Look, for them, impeachment has nothing to do with actually establishing some high crime and misdemeanor on the part of the president. It's just another arrow in the quiver to to stop Donald Trump. So, you know, they can, they can impeach him for having fast food at college football celebrations at the white house. Who cares? Maxine Waters, you know, she can prepare the scrolls well into the night. They've got all manner of things that they think are impeachable. It only it is purely cynical power grab, which is whatever we need to do, whatever we need to say to get our way. Who cares about what the standard is? Who cares if there's actually an impeachable offense? That's been irrelevant since the beginning. So that that's the question I have to ask. The first impeachment of Donald Trump in January couldn't with in the absence of covid really couldn't have helped the democrats we, we've talked about this it's a political ramification and it usually doesn't i mean except in case of andrew johnson doesn't usually lead to the party in power remaining in power it kind of harms them so why do they think if they do this 
you're not you're gonna you're gonna go to your base. Your base is be happy about that because they hate Donald Trump in, in any way, shape, or form. But if you're actually trying to get any of the the interim votes, why would you even think this is a viable option? Because it, it screams of the same thing that happened right after the 2016 election where he had celebrities telling the Electoral College not to vote for sure. Donald Trump. That, that, it just it's, seems ludicrous it's a, on its face. The tantrum of a child. Yeah. And I would say if you really want to give an in-kind donation to Donald Trump's campaign, please, yeah. please file articles of impeachment tomorrow. Yeah. And here's what's also going to happen if she does that. Of course, so starts in the house meanwhile do you think cocaine mitch is paying any attention to those shenanigans no no he's calling he's calling for a vote after whatever now we can talk about the likelihood of whether the republicans are going to have the necessary let's get to that in a second yeah but no they they don't they exist in their bubble um which nancy shows on a daily basis she's completely tone deaf doesn't care what the lemmings actually think of this I don't think she's astute enough or doesn't have enough people around her to whisper in her ear. That actually probably doesn't look good to Mr. and Mrs. Swing State voter. You impeaching the president like flinging your sippy cup because you just don't want to allow him to play someone on the court. Here's the other thing, Chad. Let's let's just 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 to talk about the the yet again hysteria on the left that is accompanying this. Now, let's let's go back down memory lane. Do you recall do you recall the spectacle that we witnessed with uh as I call him the Chevy Chase uh high school gang leader of the rapist crew, right? Remember yes, who, yes. who was that Chad? I, I, Brett Kavanaugh. Right. So we had we had Brett Kavanaugh and and we have the video of right the extras from the handmaid's tale scrabbling at the doors of the Supreme Court, screeching to the heavens, losing their minds. Now, because we were told if Brett Kavanaugh, if Brett Kavanaugh makes it onto the court, right, rivers of blood will run through the streets. There will be, women will be, you know, stacked in the back alleys seeking the coat hangers for their abortion procedures. It was, it was the apocalypse. Yep. So let's fast forward to now. What has wicked evil um jurisprudence destroying brett kavanaugh managed to do in his time on the court that you could even think of uh he's been there that's what i can think of (laughs) he's been there been there has any has anything related to the female rights agenda been destroyed and plundered by wicked brett in his high school yearbook not that i'm aware of I haven't heard no, that. No. So it does. Doesn't it seem a little bit like the people that did that uh, were number one lying, sure. uh, but number two would have some level of embarrassment about the hysterics that they went through? No, no, no. no it doesn't matter. We're gonna we're gonna roll that back and do it all over again, even with more intensity now, because you know this is the this is the icon for them of the you know of the left wing axis. You know, she's the she's the heroine of the social justice justices. Well, I, I did see something today that um, there was somebody in New York. It was a financial group honoring Ruth Bader Ginsburg as a setting a precedent on the Supreme Court for women. And then I thought, wasn't Sandra Day O'Connor the first woman like 
12 no, years before her? She doesn't count. I mean, I know she was appointed by Reagan and really didn't act like a conservative, but she was there more than a decade before Ruth Bader Ginsburg even made it on the court. Do we forget this? Like, because she was a Democrat, completely a liberal Democrat, no question. Even as a, as a classic centrist, sort of a, she wasn't as much of a swinging gate as Kennedy, but <laughs> look, here's the thing. She had qualms about the holy sacrament of Roe v. Wade. And you don't count as a woman if you don't toe the line on unrestricted abortion. Roe shall not be blasphemed against. So she doesn't count. She's an unperson. So let's go back to. So the the threat from Schumer is we're going to pack the court. We're going to do well, an FDR, well, pack the that court. That existed before. Since 1789. Just so you know. There's nothing in the Constitution, folks, that says how many jurists are actually on the Supreme Court. I saw somebody today on USA Today write that they should have 1,001 justices. It should be just like appointing somebody to the Federal Trade Commission, they said. Which sure. seems like a co-equal part of the government should be just like the FTC. I don't know that I agree with that, but that's his opinion, and therefore it's still just his opinion. Uh, What do you think about the threat of packing the court? Well, again, as I said, the threat of packing the court was being made before Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed. Mm -hmm. Okay, This was already part of the baked in the cake tantrums they were having, and that goes back to your original comment about Schumer saying, "If if you do this, we will riot but wait you're already doing that exactly. well well we will burn well but that's already happening too we will loot yeah been there done that can you think of anything you're not already doing what is as as they said nothing is off the table well let's run through what's already been on the table constant rioting arson looting assaulting police officers blm in the streets uh, oh that's right i remember um russia collusion hoax uh, abolish the Electoral College, uh, harass members of the Electoral College, right? So this threat about we're going to do all this stuff, you're already doing it. Yeah. Like, what else is left? What is else is left in your ammunition box at this point? Well, I, I guess that's where I, I'm coming at. So you're threatening because you're going to do what you're already doing, and I'm supposed to think that if I do what you want, you will stop? Right. Is that, I mean, notice well, the, the lo- my voice went up. You'll stop. I doubt it. We're going to, we, this time we really mean it. We're going to do it worser. Yeah. Worser I, than we already are. I, I think it's a hollow threat because that's what it was. It was a complete threat. What are you going well, to well, stop wait. doing? Well, wait, it's not a hollow threat in the sense that I have no doubt they're going to do all of those things. But you're already doing that. That's what I mean. It's a threat in the sense that it's a hollow threat to me in the sense that you're already doing it. So saying I'm going to eat all the cookies after you've eaten all the cookies doesn't really scare me because you've already eaten the cookies. I'm confused. What are you threatening me with? I'm going to continue to do what I'm already doing in Portland, Seattle, Minneapolis. What is exactly what am I supposed to be scared of? Because I've already seen what you've given and I'm assuming that's the worst you can offer because if you would have done worse, you would have done worse. Yes, so what am like, I afraid of? Like the movie with the uh, the hostage crisis where the, the bad guy says, 
if I don't get my helicopter and the Confederate gold, I'm going to kill all the hostages. And then the negotiator says, you already have killed all the hostages. Oh, well, yeah. Find more hostages and kill them. So at that point, again, <laughs> the only thing that's left to do is you, you essentially shoot right the hostage taker. So in this case, when Chuck Schumer says, we're going to do all this stuff that we're already doing, it's like, yeah, we heard you the first time. So we're moving forward. Yeah. I, I, I get tired of the pounding their little feet and their little fists on the table. You do what we want. Well, you're not in charge. Now, you might be in charge come January. I'm not convinced that for some reason this American electorate might actually vote for Joe Biden. I mean, Kamala Harris, Biden ticket, because frankly, and I don't say this, he's, you wanted to vote for Hillary. That was your choice. I could see how you might have a legitimate reason based on things that you like. Joe Biden is, I, I do not understand. There, this man has run three times. He is pathetic. He is. I. I'm almost thinking, how is this man even your nominee? And we talked about it a little bit last week. But there is nothing about him that inspires you with any degree of confidence that he'll live to, to the inauguration, let alone through his first term. Well, it's not even a question of living. He's he's not functioning. Conscious. He's. He, again, this is not said in a derisive tone. No. Man should be in an assisted living facility every time he opens his mouth. Have you seen the latest video clip uh, that I was watching during some interview, I think, on Telemundo? Where he's answering a question and then he clearly doesn't know what to say. And he says, he tilts his head and he says clearly to someone in his ear, I didn't catch that last line. Yeah. So, so, and we've known this is going on because we also had the moment where he's, remember when, um, move it up, <laughs> asked Ducklow, right. His, uh, his highly, highly agitated, uh, little minion yeah. about, you know, is, um, or no, it was Brett Bear. Uh, does, does Joe receive, um, you know, is he using a teleprompter to answer? I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to answer that. And then I, I won't answer that. That's a Trump talking point. And, yeah. uh, yeah. And so, of course, that's going on. But he he can't even function in that environment. It, it just gets. I don't see. I, I understand if you hate Trump, but, but totally understand that Trump does the boneheadest. I think if Trump had, for the last six months, not shot his mouth off every chance he got, it wouldn't matter what Biden Harris or Biden anybody would have said, because oh, they would have. Harm themselves. I don't think so. You think that Trump has behaved any differently in the last six months than he always has? No, but I think people have short memories. They would have forgotten how buffoonish he looks at times, and no, I think they I would have been fine. I, I, Maybe. I, I, I mean, I disagree with that. I, I think that Trump is who he is. Everyone knows who he is. Um, in other words, the people that love Trump love him. The people that loathe him with the passion of a thousand sons, they loathe him. And I think the middle ground voters, to the extent any of them remain, you know, the 10 percent or the 6 percent or whatever, um, I don't think Trump has done anything in the last six months in terms of his decorum to change the perception of who he is. Uh, you're, you should have just stopped with, I understand if you hate Trump, because that's all there. OK, being. leave it and at that. They would rather they would rather have an empty husk. A, you know, a man who cannot form a coherent sentence if he has to speak extemporaneously 
for any period of time. It doesn't matter to them. They simply need to get somebody across the finish line so Kamala Harris or the six men in the back room or whatever can run the government. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. So the idea that they care that Joe Biden is incoherent and they're going to be putting a man with what appears to be progressive dementia in the White House does not concern them one little bit. And that should be concerning to the electorate. I know I know most of us are stupid and we're going to vote based on party lines. But there should be to, to, to use our friend as an example. If you can't give me a good reason to vote for your candidate, then why should I even consider your candidate? And your reason can't be because the other person is horrible. That can't be your only reason. You have to have a reason why I should vote for your person, whoever that is. Because I get tired of being told how awful Donald Trump is, but you give me nothing to convince me that your guy is, or woman in 2016, is in any way better than what you're off that I'm suggesting. I, I don't. Well, two, but again, there's two, there's two components to that analysis. The first component is, and what we usually mean is policy. Okay. Sure. That's fine. We're not even dealing in the realm of policy with Joe Biden, which is his no. policies are awful. We're dealing with the ability to fulfill the role of the most powerful man in the world. His physical and mental capabilities are diminished to the point where he can't do that job. He just can't. He can't run a lemonade stand. I'm sorry. I mean, and this is, again, this is not, in my view, this is not even a good faith debate. Okay. If any person, you could be the most hardcore, rabid progressive in the world. You sit down and you watch clip after clip after clip. These are not gaffes. These are not, I got the town wrong. These are, I just presented a one minute word salad that is incomprehensible. This is, I don't remember the difference between my wife and what, my sister or my daughter. This is, uh, I need to talk into my ear because I can't even answer softball questions in an interview without having a guy like a ventriloquist uh, controller off camera telling me what to say. This is not within the normal realm of what constitutes better or worse policies. This guy can't fulfill the obligations of the presidency. He can't. So if we go back to 1984, there were concerns about uh, Reagan's age. Okay, he was the incumbent. There was concern about his age. Uh, Mondale was challenging him. Uh, and there's, he, Reagan looked bad in their first debate. In the second debate, he, I'll paraphrase, I don't, get the line exactly right but basically i'm not going to make this election about age i'm not going to hold my opponent's youth and inexperience against him and he got a good chuckle maybe it made a difference maybe it didn't but that's what you remember from that those debates we don't remember anything else do you think in the upcoming debates with biden we're going to get something where people are you know the emperor has no clothes kind of scenario where biden looks like a bumbling fool on the stage? Are they going to manage it to the point? Because I don't care who the moderator is, they're going to be Biden-friendly. It doesn't matter who it is. They will be Biden-friendly. They will be anti-Trump, regardless of who's asking the questions. And they will give him plenty of time, and they will cut Trump off at every opportunity. I'm still not convinced. How far out are we from the first debate? A week and a half, I believe. I'm still not convinced Biden is going to participate. 
I'm not either. Until he's actually on stage talking, I'm not convinced he's going to be there either. I think that right. something will well, come I up. I was joking with a buddy of mine that uh, what's going to happen is he's going to show up on stage, and then when he gets asked the first question, like, you know, what was the name of your favorite childhood pet? And then he's going to feign, like, a COVID seizure and start flopping around like a trout and claim that, you know, Donald Trump, like, spittle drop lidded him. Uh, because I... Again, and I've heard people say, well, you know, you're lowering the expectations now to the point where if he can even mutter a few one-syllable words, he's going to look good. No, he's not. I, I, I don't really care. I don't think he can actually get through a two-hour or whatever it's going to be, an hour and a half long debate without yeah. going into some sort of like catatonic fugue state where they're going to have to cut away to a test signal because he's going to be, as I said, like – making, you know, hand duck sing- signals or uh, shadows on the wall. I mean, the, he he cannot function without several different safety nets, without someone talking in his ear. I mean, just imagine, Chad, what a scandal this would be. Yeah. If Donald Trump was attempting to give interviews to the hostile press and he the whole time is trying to read teleprompted answers to their questions or listening to someone talking in his ear, giving him responses. What, what would the headlines be if that was going on? Exactly opposite of what we're seeing with Joe Biden. It, will, it would literally be 25th Amendment. Yeah. It would well, be, and, and, demand that he be removed. And here's the question. Mandatory retirement in most industries is lower age than Joe Biden. He's 77. I think he'll be 78 before he would take office. What? There's a reason we don't put somebody that age in charge of something super important because we know that you, you slow down, you have less energy, you have less reaction yeah. time. Why yeah, would we put them? Trump is, a year, Trump is a year younger, right, or two years younger? Uh, I thought he was 72. I thought he was about five years younger. Five years younger? I don't even know how old Trump is. I thought Trump was older than that. But in any event... I'll look it up. <laughs> they're both pretty old, okay? So my point is, it's not even so much about the age, although I agree with the general the general thrust of what you're saying, which is we recognize that... Uh, what's how old is Trump? You're looking at... 74. Trump. He's so 74. He was, so three so years younger. Okay, so they're both they're both getting up there. I don't really have an issue with the age per se. It's... Are you competent? Are you oriented to time and place? Are you capable of fulfilling those responsibilities or are you not? And some people who are 68 are already exhibiting signs of deterioration. And some people who are 80 are not. Biden will be 78 before he would take office. His birthday is in November. listening to this and you're saying these two guys, particularly Tony, are off their, they're just off their meds, right? <laughs> they hate Biden. No. Uh, what I would encourage you to do is go back and find any clip of Joe Biden from literally four years ago. Um, there's multiple, I mean, there's, you know, YouTube it, just watch him speaking on the stump in any kind of setting and then contrast that with what you see now. The difference is shocking. Mm-hmm. Not only in terms of his physical appearance, but just his ability to kind of make it through the fog to figure out what he's even supposed to be saying. Well, just go look at the clips. When he was vice president, he was a gaffe machine. His career has been a gaffe machine. But at least he sounded 
like he was alive. He didn't sound like he could barely put the sentences together. We'll we'll digest that some more. But I just want to I, I concerned about. Do you think there will be a vote on the Supreme Court justice prior to the election? I think Mitch will. Well, I think Mitch is going to force a vote. Now, mm. normally the way that works is, of course, you do your uh, you know you do your tally before you before you actually call a vote because you never want to have a vote unless you think you've got all of your you know all the horses are in the barn. Um, but I think, look, right now it appears, I think Collins has come out publicly and said, you know, I don't think it would be right. We need to wait. Uh, Murkowski, I think is almost definitely going to say that. And then the big question becomes, what is binders full of women going to do? Uh, <laughs> that's Mitt, that's uh, Mitt Romney for the folks at home. <laughs> not a fan, not a fan of the Donald. No. Um, Mitt, however, likes to portray himself as a man of integrity. So the question would be, does Mitt think that the ethical and correct thing to do here would be uh, to allow a vote, as is the president's constitutional prerogative, or is he going to give some mealy-mouthed, just wouldn't be appropriate precedent, even though it is not the precedent. <laughs> I can't emphasize that enough. There is no precedent that they're not supposed to do this. I think that there's going to be right there three off the reservation. That's the most they can lose. Yeah. Okay. It's a 53-47 Senate. Vice President Pence is the tiebreaker. If they have three that are not willing to go along, it is now Pence's job to break the tie. If they lose a fourth... They're done. And here's the interesting wrinkle. I don't know if you saw this today. Martha McSally. um, So tell the listeners what the deal is with McSally. So apparently Martha McSally, for reasons I cannot fathom, there must be something wrong with this woman. Because... Tell everyone who she is. They may not know. Well, she's... She ran for Senate in Arizona and lost to Kristen Sinema, who's not quite the raging liberal we thought, but certainly not a conservative. It's, it's been amazing. Not, not quite what we wanted, but, you know, whatever. she beat Martha McSally. So John McCain dies, and she was appointed by Doug Ducey to fill out the rest of uh, McCain's term. And she's currently trailing against Mark Kelly, the astronaut, whose wife was shot in uh, Arizona. Gabby Gifford. Gabby Gifford. Um, so if apparently, at least according to this article, if she loses her Senate, race the the governor will have to recall her and that means that mark kelly would be seated i guess right away or there would be no there would be nobody there until he's seated in january i'm not really sure exactly how that works that's clearly the post-election scenario meaning if if they're still attempting to call a vote after the election okay um that that's a monkey wrench. I don't think that, that clearly, of course, the Senate election is at the same time as the presidential election. So right. if, if they are going to get this done beforehand, that doesn't come into play. And then the other question becomes, are there any other wafflers besides the three amigos that we just mentioned who are going to scuttle this? Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there is. And if Mitt Romney is a man of principle, and I'm not convinced that he is. I, I think he's a man of opportunity who tries to couch it as principle. Uh, let, me, let me be clear on that. 
I'm not a I'm not a Mitt fan. I was a Mitt fan over Barack Obama in 2012, but I'm not a Mitt fan. Mitt likes to kind of fly his own flag and get his own attention. He voted on one of the articles of impeachment in January or in February because he's Mitt, I, I guess. Uh, he said it was a matter of conscience. Yeah, sure it was. I'm sure it was a matter of conscience, and we got all those interviews right after they did that. I believe Mitt would vote. I, I don't think Mitt would go to the point where he w- he would threaten not to vote for somebody. But are you telling me that if there's an a jurist in front of you who espouses your principles, you're going to vote no on them because it's possibly a lame duck appointment? Don't underestimate the desire for people to stick it to Trump. You see this with, we've talked about the Lincoln Project and all these never Trumpers. And again, let me reiterate, I don't have a problem with you being opposed to Donald Trump. What I do have a problem with in terms of false advertising is if you're still going to claim that you're a conservative, right? Mm -hmm. You're fighting for conservatism. Now, again, Fine, Donald Trump doesn't represent conservatism. You can oppose him to your heart's content. But if you're also at the same time saying, actually, what we need to do is vote for Democrats, yeah. then no. I'm sorry, you're lying. You're not a conservative because there's no way that that benefits the conservative movement in this country in any way, shape, or form of allowing these people to obtain power. For instance, we need to get rid of Susan Collins. Susan Collins, good grief. You couldn't find a more milk toast, middle of the road, <laughs> very conservative. You're gonna, you're gonna, what? You're on the warpath for Susan Collins? So this is my point. Mitt Romney is the kind of guy, I think, that has such disdain for Donald Trump that I could see him giving another one of these, I had a restless night, uh, my conscience, I, you know, I walked for hours and I've concluded that we cannot have this vote. I think that right now it's on a razor's edge. I think there's at least three, those three that are not on board. And I don't think, now look, there's going to be a lot of pressure brought to bear on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Listen, I have to say this too. I give Susan Collins a lot of credit because it was basically her speech during the Kavanaugh hearing that essentially secured it she was the vote that if if they had lost her it was unclear whether he's going to be on the court i agree and she was under tremendous pressure i mean just just insane the attacks that she was enduring yeah and she stood her ground and gave it what i considered to be a very well-reasoned um sober just a detailed analysis of the relevant constitutional issues and said you know what i'm voting for this guy so I, I give her credit as someone who has a backbone uh, at, at times when she needs it. But I think that was her that was her shining moment, and it's not going to happen again. So you give up Collins, you give up Murkowski. Here's my theory, my thought anyway. Mitch puts as much pressure on him, gets whoever the nominee is, and it may be a female, it may not be. I, I don't know. Trump has kind of hinted it's going to be a female, but I don't know that. I think it's a guarantee it's going to be a female. I think it is, but and then you got you take away some of that ammunition the Democrats have. They're still going to vote against her. Whoever they whoever Trump nominates, but they're not just going to vote every vote. They're going to demonize this person her and make her out to be Ursula the Sea Witch. Correct. So, they, yeah. You'll be the worst person you ever thought. I think 
you still bring it to the vote. You make Mitt Romney stand up there and say, no, I'm not voting in favor of this person. Because that, comes, that has consequences for Mitt's future. And Mitt has to know that. He can threaten all he wants. I don't think we should do this. I, well, you're not in charge, Mitt. Well, but remember, so let's, be, let's play this, let's game theory sure. this out. Sure. So you're right. It does have consequences. It certainly has basically extinction-level event consequences for Mitt within the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. However, if Mitt Romney believes, as many smart people do, that Joe Biden is going to be the next president, boy, what a dog treat he would receive sure. from his new overlords for being the guy that saved the Supreme Court <laughs> from tyranny, right? From, yeah. from the depths of hell. Because, of course, any person that is selected to replace RBG, that's it. Again, the nation, it will end. It will end. It's like a meteor strike. So don't discount his analysis being, oh, I am going to be very well rewarded for my vote that saves that seat for the Biden administration. And I will tell you, if I look at the demographics of Utah and the fact that he took a heavily Republican seat and gacked it up with his actions, he doesn't get a second term. Oh, no. no, He's got to go elsewhere for that. The Senate is done. Yeah. In fact, listen, you know how things work in D.C. I would not put it past guaranteed there are conversations going on with him in particular along the lines of, if you're with us on this, there's a lot of plum assignments out there Certainly things in the State Department. Um, Secretary of State. Now, I don't know whether that would fly in a radical Biden administration, but there are ways that they could compensate him with a position uh, in return for his agreement to scuttle the ship. I can see them making overtures because why wouldn't they? But man, Mitt, you just you've committed career suicide, at least on half the country. You're persona non grata in a lot of places for having an opinion and having a conscience or is what you claim well, it to be. You know what? His argument would be if that is if those are the consequences, then only a man of principle would actually do what he's going to do. Because it would be far easier for him to fold and just go along with the crowd. So doesn't it demonstrate I'm playing the devil's advocate, sure. doesn't it demonstrate that if he's willing to throw away his Senate seat and his standing within the party, that is a matter of principle and not cynicism. So my contention to that whole argument would be you can hate Donald Trump. You can detest the man's utter existence. What does that have to do with the person sitting in front of you who you're actually voting for? Does it repudiate Trump because you didn't vote for the person he nominated? No, maybe, no. maybe it tarnishes them a little bit, but it still it tarnishes the person They're and it harms the court for decades. The rationale. I mean, the rationale is going to be we have set this precedent with Merrick Garland and it would be hypocritical and unfair for us to reverse course at this time. Right. And again, the, every time you hear that being said, you have to stop 
and blow your air horn and say, that is nonsense. That precedent that you are now erecting as a straw man does not exist. The circumstances are not the same. And again, we control both relevant branches of government. That's all that matters. Yeah. That's it. Get over it. I don't, I'm not a big fan of this. Precedent to me is somebody made a bad decision. Now we've got to, we can back it up because somebody else made a bad decision in somewhere in the past. Whether, and, regardless of what it is. Someone else saying to me, Tony, so, you know, this is unbelievable. You, you're just now about raw political power. Ethics don't matter. No, no. Again, this idea that this is somehow shady or unethical or unprecedented or unjustified is complete fiction. There is nothing wrong under the constitutional system. There is no threat to our checks and balances. There is no crumbling of the pillars of democracy. This is how it's supposed to work. The two relevant elections were won by the Republican Party, and it's just unfortunate timing for the Democratic Party that a third justice has come up when they are still out of power. That's just the way the cookie crumbles. So... Some would say, correctly or incorrectly, that this all could have been avoided if RBG had retired under Obama when he controlled the Senate. Now, that would have taken away the Obamacare ruling. That would have taken away Obergefell. It would take away some other things. But you could have replaced her with somebody 40 years younger and had decades. So... I don't want to hear the gnashing of teeth because you this woman died while a Supreme Court justice when she had the opportunity to retire years ago and live out her retirement in speaking engagements and TV shows. I'm sorry, I don't have any sympathy that she hung on to try to get to 2021 as the woman in her car screaming as she's driving down the road, screaming, F this, F this, I can't believe this, F this, F this. I'm sorry. Uh, good choice. Because, because what you've just laid out, there are many, many sort of thought leaders on the progressive side who are posthumously very, very angry with RBG for that reason. And in mm-hmm. fact, there were people at the time yes. who were telling her, you need to get out now so that we can preserve the seat. Yep. And so you're right. This is something that people on the left are, are in, in many quarters, very, very angry about that they are now in this position. And they they have a legitimate gripe, but, you know, nobody put enough pressure on her to leave, and it's a lifetime appointment, so there you go. Well, they have a legitimate gripe only to the extent, if your worldview is, the Supreme Court is the most important thing in the entire universe. And, should, and by the way, I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself was constantly making calculations about wanting to preserve her seat on the court. So it, there is some... That was her perspective as well. Yeah. So she she didn't play the game well if her desire was to ensure that her particular judicial philosophy was going to live on in a replacement by a like-minded president. And and I don't care what she told her granddaughter that she wanted her to be replaced after the election. I don't care what her thoughts were on the topic because it's not how this works. So anybody who brings it up and says, well, that was her dying wish don't care that has nothing to do with it i'm sure antonin scalia would have said i'd like to have somebody like-minded replace me 
uh, but you nominated Merrick Garland anyway. So who cares what he thought? Doesn't matter. I, I just did some... There's, there's a site called Wargaming the Electoral College, and I just... We're getting to the point where it's starting to get real serious... Do you have any confidence? Last week you weren't, you didn't have a lot of confidence. Do you have any more confidence this week, one way or the other, about oh, who's going to win? Confidence. What are you referring to? Is Trump going to win or is Trump going to lose? Period. And does he? Does he? Do we get well, thrown into weeks the of turmoil? The reason you're going to get a lawyer response to this is because we've talked about the <laughs> fact that I don't think there's going to be any. Let's put it this way: if Trump actually wins he will not be declared the winner, okay? Until when? Meaning if at, at midnight or 1 a.m. in the morning on election night or the next day, Donald Trump has won Pennsylvania and Ohio and Wisconsin and has a sizable advantage once again in the Electoral College, even though he's still behind on the irrelevant popular vote, there is no way that the media is going to do anything other than say, we don't know who the president is. And we fully expect that when all of the mail, bat mail and fraud, I mean, ballots are counted, uh, <laughs> Joe Biden will be the new president. And you need to sit, sit back and wait for a week or three weeks or whatever until all of our honest Abe precinct guardians are counting. Oh, look, we found another satchel. So no, Donald Trump will not be declared the president. Now, setting that depressing reality aside, do I think that he would legitimately win as it stands right now? Yes. I think that there are enough of the swing states, once again, I think he's going to win Pennsylvania, he's going to win Ohio, and I think he's going to win some combination of Wisconsin, Michigan, and possibly Minnesota. And if he wins even really, if he wins Pennsylvania, Ohio, and one of any of those other three states, he's going to win the Electoral College because he's going to win Florida and he'll lose North Carolina and Virginia, but it won't matter. But again, that's not possible right now, Chad, because we can't have nice things anymore in our country. The Democrats <laughs> are not going to allow that to happen. So unless he wins in a huge landslide where it's beyond the margin of fraud and cheating, we are going to be in for batting down the hatches a month of riots, of lawfare, of mail-in ballot fraud, of you name it, to prevent him from being seated again as the president. So this, this um, it's on PJ Media. Stephen Green goes through five scenarios. And he even says Texas is in play. Texas. You know, the place that reelected. Ted Cruz, and we were told Beto O'Rourke was going to win? Texas is not in play. Joe Biden is not going to win Texas. Again, massive cheating. The reason Texas is in play is the same reason that California is the left coast is because Texas, even though it is a 95% red state, has massive urban centers that are deep, deep blue and are heavily populated. Yeah. So... That's the reason that Texas is, they keep saying all the demographic trends. So what it is, is that yes, a lot of blue state voters who ironically can't stand the blue state that they're in because <laughs> of their policies and yet are somehow victims of Stockholm syndrome. So they move to the cities in Texas 
and then they vote for the same policies while enjoying the lower taxes and the better business environment brought to you by the people that they say they despise, right? Yeah. Texas is not in play. Joe Biden is not winning Texas. Well, it there's scenarios for every every which way, but I think the most the more likely one is either a Biden win outright or he he predicts a 269-269 uh yeah, college I and I don't think if Biden is ahead at 1201, they will declare, they'll ring the bell, it's all yep. over, let's throw the confetti, here's the kazoos, we have our new president. Oh, mail-in ballots, doesn't matter, we yep. don't need to count those. Don't, don't care about those. We only need those if we don't have enough votes to win it. Right. I, I, I anticipate, and I, I said this in the, in the blurb, 2020, I think, is going to go down historically for COVID, for impeachment, for this election, everything you can think of at least in U.S. history, is going to be, it's going to be, they're going to study this for decades this year because it has been everything you can think of that could go wrong is going wrong, you know? And, and yeah, I, and look, I'm, I'm pessimistic. I think it's going to get, it's worse. going to get worse before it gets better. And the, the really depressing part about that is I don't think it matters which way the election goes. It's still going to get worse. If yeah. Biden is elected, of course, we've talked about the horrific, you know, the horrendous agenda that they're going to, because the, the next day, Chuck Schumer will nuke the legislative filibuster, and then it will be grease the skids for abolishing cows and opening the borders and their whole, their whole zany, right, statist agenda. But if Trump wins, if Trump actually manages to come out of the Tong War after a month, and they can't find a way to cheat their way to have Biden win, then it's just going to be unceasing riots. Un, you know, it's going to be never ending. There'll be seven more articles of impeachment filed. I guess the disheartening thing for me, Chad, is that we have come to a place now where the Democratic Party has basically decided we no longer participate in yeah. this American experiment in terms of the agreed upon rules for how the republic is supposed to work. They, they've opted out. Yeah. They are basically saying we either get to have power or we will burn it down. They have made that explicit yes. in the last two weeks. Yep. You, so there is never going to be an end to this constant hostility and animus in our public square because one of the national parties has descended into madness and has decided – we are no longer playing by any of the rules that are enshrined here. Um, we would rather rule over the ashes than participate in a normal democracy. And if you think that is hyperbolic, I encourage people to look closely, not at what CNN is reporting. Go online, go to, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Andy NGO. I don't know if it's no. He's, he's an investigative reporter. Actually look at what is going on in the streets of Seattle and Portland and Kenosha and multiple other places that look like war zones. And this is, this is what has been promised only it's going to expand further. You don't, it's funny. You talk to people about this and they kind of look at you like you have some sort of Alex Jones, you know, back tat. It's like, listen, the media is not reporting even, even a nanoparticle of what is actually going on in these places. No. It, yeah. is, it is really, really bad. And just, this is intentional, and it's going to continue. And I, sadly, I agree with what you're saying. I don't know if you saw this on, um, it came out today, 
that the U.S. Department of Justice identified three jurisdictions, New York City, Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington, that have, uh, what did they say? They're like anarchist. Yeah, anarchist cities that will not get federal funding because they refuse to uphold the rule of law and um, not stop uh, destruction of their cities. Even, okay, even wow. Minneapolis. If you want to watch something that is both pathetic and eye-opening, go go on YouTube and there's a video, because many people probably don't know this, Minneapolis now has its own autonomous zone yes. for George Floyd. Yes, it's called they, George Floyd. <laughs> it's actually called George Floyd. Yes, it, or it's called the free state of George. Or yeah, something like that. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Yeah. So um, if you there's a there's a six minute video of a well intended woman sort of doing a walking tour of the new free state of George Floyd. Yeah. And I, I describe this as it sounds like Goldilocks touring the Three Bears Cottage, <laughs> showing everyone how perfect it all is. Right? It's just right. And so you have her showing you in the middle of the day, here's the needle drop off. Oh, over here, here's the over needle here, drop off. We have, we have the building art, the building art, which of course is just the graffiti everywhere. Oh, and the owners, they love it. And then over here, I'm not making this up. I know. Over I saw here, it. we have the field of fake gravestones that they've set up for all of the innocent people, they were actually, most of them violent criminals, uh, who were slaughtered by the wicked police. And here are all of our street barricades that we have set up you know, to keep the black-seeking missiles from coming in and destroying minorities. Meanwhile, there have been reports now the police cannot get in there Shocking. to to have legitimate emergencies. Shocking. This is what's going on in the middle of America, and there are many, many people, including I think our friend, yes. who think this is just groovy. This is just swell. Well, next time we talk, I want to bring up uh, critical race theory because he put a screed up today about that, and I, everything he said made me want to scream because it, <laughs> I, I just I'm reading it and I'm thinking, what he he, just to give you a preview. I read the piece. Yeah, and and if you it is it is the most um, it is the most one sided Pollyanna view of what critical race theory is. And the other thing that I will point out, we're going to talk about this next week, is that our friend, and this is he's entitled to his view, is constantly saying about oh, let's just say. Eric Metaxas, yeah. anyone, right? Historians <laughs> disagree with him is that he, he will be um, on them at the granular level saying, this is wrong. This is improper. We cannot do this. And his immediate response to critical race theory is entirely, what are we afraid of? Yeah. We can, we can all take in alternative ideas. And what I want to ask our friend is, so wait a minute. Are you acting out of fear every day when <laughs> you vehemently criticize and say this is bad for America? No, no. We Apparently, we only have the ability to speak truth to the things that he doesn't like. Mm -hmm. And when there's things that he does like, we all just need to embrace them, be open-minded, 
Um, that doesn't seem to be, there's a kind of a double standard going on there. And we can unpack that, I think, next week. Because you know what? Critical race theory is a valuable topic. And I think people need to fully understand what exactly that is. I, I just want to read his quote. Like all academic theories, critical race theory, we ought to engage it thoughtfully. To which I say, no, just because somebody has a thought doesn't mean you should engage it thoughtfully because it could be crap. It, just because well, an academic well, came up with it doesn't make it legit. That, uh, my reaction to that was what you have just done is not thoughtful engagement. No. It is complete whitewashing. Because you like uh, it. What it is. So, sure, I'm all for thoughtful engagement because when we thoughtfully engage, we can identify things that are false and fallacious and intellectually bankrupt and inherently destructive. So we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, I think oh, you'll wait, enjoy that. Go. Yes. We have to discuss this because you are Mr. Steelers. <laughs> I know so where this is going. Go, go ahead. Make, it, what do you make of the, of the, just the Rooney empire, right? One of the great pillar organizations in the history of the NFL. Please explain, because I know you know about this. <sighs> what, this what was the Steelers team going to wear on their, did wear, on their uniforms for this week's NFL game, except with two or three notable exceptions, very, very courageous guys we might talk about. Well, so... But explain what was going on. So we talked about it briefly last week because I was watching the game um, as we were recording because I'm a Steelers fan, so I couldn't help myself. Um, the the yeah, gentleman named Antoine Rose Jr., I believe, the second. I'm not sure which one it is. A uh, black gentleman killed in 2018 uh, in East Pittsburgh. Uh, not that I knew there was a place called East Pittsburgh. I just thought it was Pittsburgh. Uh, he was shot by the police, uh, accused of being in a drive-by shooting. Not necessarily that shooter, but accused of being a shooter in a previous shot, uh, drive-by shooting. And he had gunpowder residue on his hands, according to the police. Now, I read something tonight from a... Freelance writer who pilloried uh, Villanueva for not putting on Antoine Rose's name on his jer- on his helmet, and Marquise Pouncey for having taken it off, and all he he said, "What you're saying is this is an all lives matter thing, and you you can't give the benefit of the doubt to this guy." And people made up stories about this post posthumously about this guy. I don't know the truly what happened with this guy. I, personally, I don't want to see anybody's name on the back of your helmet. I don't want to. I don't care who you are. Well, that's the default position. Well, it should be the default position. But this guy, so Villanueva's being pilloried by this this kid's mother, who's still alive, uh, by certain members of the press, uh, because he didn't want to put this guy's name on there. And Marquise Pouncey came out. He's the center, and he said basically. I didn't do enough research. I work with the police. I shouldn't maybe have. He didn't come out and say I shouldn't have put this guy's name on my helmet, but he should have done more research is what he said. So well, he, he kind of got pilloried as well. What's that? He refused to put it on. Well, he put it on last week, but he took it off this week. Yeah. He changed right. it when this he week. Was going on, he wasn't continuing with it. Correct. So basically what I my take on it is I'm sick of this. Uh, Steelers, doesn't matter. I am sick of this constant barrage of beat me over the head with your morality, and I'm supposed to 
It's not morality. Well, it's immorality. Immorality. I, I know we don't like to talk about this. George Floyd, historically, was not a good dude. That doesn't mean he should be killed, but he was not a good dude. Uh, the, the guy in Kenosha, not a good dude. Doesn't, again, doesn't justify killing, but if, you know, the circumstances that may have led to that. Well, but again, it's not at all clear that Jacob Blake killing was unjustified and correct was, and i don't mean to imply that it was was or wasn't i'm not i'm not saying that but we're we're putting these guys up as saints and they were bad people in every other walk of their life doesn't doesn't mean you should go out and kill them doesn't mean somebody should you know systematically go out and destroy these people but they're not they are not people you hold up in esteem for people to look up to because they are not good people in any way, straight, shape, or form that you would ever do for anybody else, they they did not do they did not live a an upright, upstanding life up to the point of death. So why are we sitting here going, wow, we should we should put this guy's picture on everything? We should, you know, I just read something about a um, there was a general in I want to say it was Iraq or Afghanistan who was killed in the line of duty. He was a major general. Obama didn't send anybody to his funeral. Major general in the U.S. Army killed in action, doesn't say anybody's funeral, but yet we send people to George Floyd's funeral, and we send people to whatever. You, you name it, somebody else. Whitney Houston had the flags at half-mast. This major general did not get the flags at half-mast under Obama. Right. I have a problem when we're holding up pop icons and thugs as somehow morally uh, upstanding. And I know we don't want to talk about ill of the dead, but they didn't live lives that, I've, that I want my daughter to emulate. They did not do anything that says they should be held up. You could separate the they got shot and they got killed, and you can, you can adjudicate that situation separately from the lives they led up to that point. And I'm not well, saying that you, you put yourself in a situation where you, uh, you deserve to be shot but I also don't think you put yourself in a situation. If you don't go, if you don't attack the police, I think your chance of dying goes down. I, I think but you're yeah. less. See, to me, to me, and you make a good point because they, of course, are not interested in accurately reporting what these men were doing for most of their life. But see, to me, that's actually not even the issue because anybody can, anyone can change, anyone can be redeemed. Certainly can. Is is that the events for which these men are being lionized are also lies. Okay, yes. now this whole thing where you mentioned this writer about why can't you give the benefit of the doubt? No, no, there is no doubt. The, this guy in Pittsburgh, I forget his name, what is it, Aaron Rose? Antoine Rose. Antoine Rose. No, no, he had been part of multiple drive-by shootings, and at the time he was shot, that's what he was participating in. It's not clear whether he was the shooter or no. someone else. And so George Floyd, we, we spent a ton digging into this. George Floyd died because he overdosed on fentanyl. That's why. I know that's not popular to say. I know people don't really understand that. But if you actually look, and I'm not, I'm not saying that there's not possible police misconduct. The point is he did not die because the guy was on his neck. And his Those are two separate things. There could be police misconduct. And he died of a fentanyl overdose. It's the same thing with Jacob Blake. He died because he was resisting arrest 
uh, engaged in a violent struggle with police, was attempting to steal a car that wasn't his with children in it, was armed with a knife, was refusing police orders, was tasered, and eventually went to the car and was grabbing for some kind of weapon and he was shot. Again, in that moment for which he is now being portrayed as a martyr, he was not. My view, the police conduct was appropriate when it related to him, and it was appropriate when it related to Antoine Rose, and whether it wasn't or was appropriate as related to George Floyd, it's not the reason that he died. So every one of these men that's being held up by the NFL and by our culture as this is an example of a victim of racism, that is a lie. Mm -hmm. To your larger point, politics poisons everything and the NFL is engaged in a slow motion suicide mission if they continue to do this because there are a lot of fans that I know that I've already talked to that are done. They're out and they're not coming back and the NFL is a colossus. They're not going to feel the pain right away, but I can guarantee you if they persist in this, it will be the incremental ebb of fans until advertisers are going to start to notice. It's going to show up in the ratings. And and it should, and that's how they get the message. I would say if you listen to our show, you can expect to hear about politics. But if I watch football, I shouldn't expect to hear about politics. I shouldn't expect to see whatever it is. It's not the audience for that. If I watch the State of the Union, I expect to hear whatever party is in charge is going to snub or have a rebuttal or whatever. It's all political. But I don't expect to watch Dancing with the Stars and get a political message. Not that I watched Dancing with the Stars, but if I did. That's correct. And not only that, it's a one-sided political message. Correct. Which is the worst. So it's not just, oh, because again, it's not the forum for it. Well, let's have a crossfire. No, no. It's complete left-wing, trendy ideology jammed down your throat. You can't escape it. It's, It's incredible how otherwise brilliant and wealthy business people have aligned themselves with a group that hates their sport and would like nothing better than for it to die, and they are cooperating with them in that mission. Yes. It's just kind of amazing. It does not make sense to me. What The, the Rams opened their stadium last week, a $5 billion stadium, and they had no fans. Now, it was because of COVID, but you keep acting like this, and you might not have any fans even when you can have fans again. Uh, the Raiders opened theirs tonight, also with no fans, but they might not have any fans either the way you act. You, you have to know. I tell my daughter this all the time. Read the room. It, read the room because if you don't understand that your particular event or entertainment venue is aligned with a certain demographic and you continue to spit in the face of that demographic, they're not going to take it forever. Baseball was the number one sport in the United States, and then they would decide to go on strike. Now, they're not. You've made an actual, a very good point, but the room that they're reading is the wrong room. Correct. They're reading the room where they're hobnobbing with all of the rest of the elite bubble people who, who, who are reading the Twitter room and deciding, this is the room that reflects the views of most of our fans. They should certainly know better, and it's actually all their fans are sitting out in a warehouse somewhere and they're completely disregarded so the problem is is that they're reading the wrong room yes well and eventually if they continue to 
kick themselves in the head, they will find out that they don't have the money they thought they had. People think of the NFL as this colossus that has an unlimited pocket. They have limits. And we may not be able to experience those limits right away, but they have limits. And the NFL wasn't always this most popular sport. The reason that they're, uh, you know, a massive organization that just prints money is because they're the most popular sport in the United States. They're not the most popular sport in the world. That's football. But in the United States, they outstrip any other sport. But you know what? To your point, that can change, and it can change very quickly. And they may soon realize just how quickly their fortunes are going to dip if they continue to alienate more than half of their customers. So ask yourself, where do they get their money? And, and before you answer, it's not gate receipts. It's not parking. It's not concessions. It's TV. Yep. And guess who has less money? Oh, wait a minute. ESPN. They're hemorrhaging money. So when these networks are hemorrhaging money, do they have extra money to throw at your league just because it's four years later and now they need to give you more? You don't have more. They're not going to give you more. If ratings are down, guess what? They can't sell the ads. Where does the money come from? Well, advertisers are willing to spend exorbitant sums because the ratings are through the roof. When those ratings dip, advertisers' wallets are going to get thinner, yep. and then the value of the product drops. It's a very simple, it's a very simple equation. It, it's, yeah, for, you, you may not see the long-term ramifications because you're, you're only looking at that next feeding but it has to come from somewhere and guess who that is that's the fans it's still the fans see and fox and espn are not going to pay roger goodell they're not paying him they're paying the owners and then they're paying roger goodell the princely sums that they're currently paying when their advertisers are saying we're not we're not going to pay a million dollars for a 30 second spot anymore the ratings are terrible yeah so it's a cascading effect. It may happen over time. Let's just watch this. If this continues next year and when really when it's time to re-up those contracts, what they look like. Yeah. What, do, do you know that the NHL's in the Stanley Cup Finals? I do know that. I, I do know that, but does the average person know that? Did, did you know that, that the uh, uh, baseball is playoffs? All right, quick quiz, Chad. Who won? Who just won the U.S. Open? The uh, it was a golfer I don't care about. <laughs> it, was, it was Bryson DeChambeau. And the I... reason that you should know about him is because he is known as the mad professor. And he put on 40 pounds in the offseason, and he looks like a linebacker mm-hmm. so that he can smash the ball even further, and he plays like gorilla golf. Uh, yeah. And everyone said that it wouldn't work, and he just won the U.S. Open. So there's your golf trivia for today. I, I thank you for sharing the golf trivia. I'm going to be honest, uh, probably 10 seconds after we end this show, I will have forgotten that because I'll, be disappointed. I, I'll keep reminding you. I'll you, send you a text. You could send me a text. I'll read it, and as soon as I close the text, I will have forgotten because I don't care. But that's okay. Somebody out there, my, my dad was watching golf on Saturday. Apparently he cared, and I do not. Do you know what four major golf tournaments are? U.S. Open, British Open. It's the Open Championship now. Oh, it's called the Open Championship now? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is the players, or is that 
That's correct. And, and the most obvious one. Uh, the Masters. Correct. Very good. Very good. There you go. By cultural osmosis, you have learned something about And, and tennis, it's the U.S. Open, Wimbledon, French Open, and Australian Open. Oh, that's excellent. See? That's and I don't watch that either. So now, there you go. I start quizzing you about cricket because I don't know. Uh, the games last really, really long, like days long. Wicked, according to Seinfeld, there's a wicked googly. Wicked googly. I like that. I don't know what it means, but it, it sounds interesting. I'd rather watch Australian rules football. How about that? I was watching that I yesterday. Lumberjack tour. It's a good one, too. It's a good one, too. That's all I got, Tony. You got anything else? No. Next week, uh, maybe a little bit of a deeper dive into uh, critical race theory. I think, I, I, I think that would be very good. It would be very entertaining for somebody. So I'll leave it at that. At least one person. Well, two of us. We'll both be here. Uh, <laughs> I would thank everybody for joining us tonight. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. Thanks for listening. This has been a Hannah Tree production.